Let's bow our heads for prayer. God, shower upon us your mercy, your love, your kindness, your wisdom, your forgiveness, your kingdom, your grace. Come, God, be with us and fill us with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. We're now 17 years into the new millennium. Now time flies. Uh, I was thinking about uh, when we were changing from the last millennium to this millennium, there were all those lists about who were the most important people who had lived in the previous thousand years. And every list I saw uh, at the top, not necessarily the tip top, but in the top five, every list I saw had Martin Luther. Uh, he was just a pivotal figure in, in history over that last thousand years, especially in his work as a reformer. Uh, he's, he nailed the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg, and, and we're taught that that just really opened up the way of the Reformation, changed all kinds of things about education, changed all kinds of things about uh, music, changed all kinds of things actually about politics, but especially changed all kinds of things about the understanding of the grace of God. The fact of the matter is, Martin Luther wasn't the only reformer. He's, I suppose, the most famous, but there were others before him, others after him. There was John Huss before him, uh, John Kelvin after him. And, and even then, Luther wasn't one who, who really wanted people's attention drawn to him. If Martin Luther were sitting with us today, he might be chagrined that we were even calling ourselves Lutherans. He said, what's Luther? He's a bag of maggots. <laughs> he said, Luther didn't die for you. Christ died for you. You're Christians. And in the end, it, it wasn't Luther or, or Kelvin or Huss or any of those fellows. It was always the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, reforming it, bringing it always back to where it needs to be, to have hope and confidence in Christ, in His grace alone, through Scripture alone, through faith alone. Uh, the church, they say, is, is always reforming. Uh, that's because we always get out of shape. Uh, too often the church gets reshaped by the world around it and the thinking of the times. And so we always need to be drawn back to the Scriptures. It's like G.K. Chesterton wrote about a, a white post. He said, if you put a white post out in the field, you have to keep working to make it white because it's going to get mildewed, it's going to begin to, to uh, peel, and it's going to get dirty. And so you always have to work to keep it as it once was. And so the Holy Spirit continues to work in the life of the church to reform us, reshape us, to have faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. And so it's good for us to take the anniversary, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation to heart and spend some time this week and the next couple of weeks to think about these great Reformation themes, grace alone, scripture alone, faith alone. Uh, and today we're going to look at how it's still by grace alone that we're saved. Let me show you some pictures. Take a look at these. Do you know what these pictures all have in common? By the way, those are supposed to be bifocals. You have to have just the right kind of glasses to see that they're bifocals. Uh, do you know what all those pictures have in common? What they all have in common is we didn't have those things 500 years ago. All of those have been invented in the last 500 years. I looked it up. Apparently, they did have spectacles before the Reformation, but not bifocals. Those were invented by 
Benjamin Franklin, at least that's what we're told. So these are pictures of, of all kinds of things that are different, and people say times change and people change, and it's so different than it once was, and, and there's no doubt there have been all kinds of technological advances. But there is something that hasn't changed over the last 500 years and will never change, and that's what we see in Acts chapter 4, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It was true then, it's true now, it'll be true another 500 years, that the thing we all have in common is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and God, by His grace, by His grace, by His grace, His doing, His gift, has provided Jesus. And so this morning what I'd like to have us do is spend some time looking at this parable about the wedding feast to help us think about the grace of God. Uh, it, it's it's uh, kind of surprising or interesting that throughout the Scripture there's all kinds of conversation about weddings and wedding feasts. It's a high view of the church. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. Think about the best wedding feast you've ever been to. Maybe it was your own kids, grandkids. You just you said, that was a blast. There was just so much joy, so much frivolity. It was, it was just, I loved being there. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, we, we heard in the Old Testament lesson a description of, a, of the kingdom of heaven like the best of wines and the richest of meats. The first sign that Jesus did had to do with a wedding where he changed the water into wine, and not just water into wine, but it was a lot of wine, and it was the best of wine. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus wants us to think about, is like this wedding feast. And so we have the story that Jesus gives us today. And as we look at this uh, wedding feast story, you're going to see that there are three kinds of people that Jesus identifies. Now, this, this story was told on the week that Jesus was going to be arrested. It's really told against the Jewish leaders who were about to have him arrested, turned over to the Romans, and they were going to beat him, they were going to mock him, and ultimately kill him. Jesus knew that was coming, and so he told them this story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he had sent out those save-the-date cards... And when the time had come and the date had come, he sent his servants out and he said to those that had been invited, it's ready. Uh, meat's on the grill, wine's poured, all is prepared, come in and enjoy the feast. But they didn't want to come. It says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, I guess so. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The first kind of people that we see in this story is those who reject the call of God. And, and in this story, as Jesus is telling it the week that he's going to be betrayed, he's telling it very specifically against the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all of the religious leaders who were arrayed against him. Uh, and indeed, they would be destroyed. In 70 AD, uh, Jerusalem is sacked and the temple is destroyed. And, and we see that as a judgment from God. But it's still the case today that there are those who reject the call of God. Uh, there are people around who are too busy for the kingdom of heaven. They're going about their farming. They're going about their business. They're going about the things of the world because they can't be bothered 
with the invitation to the kingdom of heaven. There are others that continue to shake their fist and come against the kingdom of heaven, persecuting the church. As Christians, we shouldn't be surprised that that we run into disinterest in the world, that we run into persecution in the world, because that's one of the kinds of people that there are. There are those who reject the call of God. Jesus continued the story. And so the king said, uh, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited, they weren't up to it. So go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads. They gathered uh, those whom they found, both bad and good. We'll come back to that. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, how'd you get in here? Where's the wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That never, ever sounded fair, did it? You know, every time you hear this story, you think, What in the world? Just because this fella didn't have money enough for good clothes for a wedding, he gets bounced out? The thing you need to understand about wedding feasts thrown by kings is that not only did the kings freely extend the invitation, not only did the kings freely provide all of the food and nourishment, but the kings also provided garments. Apparently some kind of wedding stole or garment that the king would provide so that all the celebration could be at the hand and the gift of of the king. What we see in this man is not that he didn't have nice enough clothes to come to the wedding, but that he was trying to stand before the king on his own. That's the second kind of person that we'll see. And just because it says there was one doesn't mean that there aren't others. But this is a man who wanted to stand before God on his own. Uh, that continues to be a problem. That was, the, that was the, the driving force, really, of the Reformation, that there were people that were continuing to trust in themselves, in their own works, in their own, can I say, raiment, their own clothing before God. We have no hope, we have no confidence in ourselves. You know, this, this continues to be a problem in the church today, uh, that there continue to be people who, who want to follow Jesus, but are trusting in themselves that they say, well, I made this decision for myself, or I've done this, or, or surely God chose me because of that, as if there's some kind of merit or worthiness in ourselves. That's, that's absolutely against what grace is. Grace is about what God gives not about what we do. There's a, there's a name for this. It's an old heresy in the church, but it hasn't gone away. It's called Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism. And it is that idea that there is still something inherent in me that what I've done or what I've achieved that has made God choose me, that has made God to love me. There's a third kind of person that we see in this story, and that's those who are covered head to toe in grace. That's the other wedding guests. They had been invited. It says they were good and bad. It wasn't about what they had done. They had been invited by the king. They had been provided for by the king. And they had been dressed by the king so that all that they had there at the party was from the hand of the king. That's how you and I stand before God. It's all grace. From head to toe. From beginning to end. From 
soup to nuts. It's all grace, and it's all by the hand of God. You know, in baptism, uh, we, we teach about, the Bible teaches about the gifts that come in baptism. In baptism, you're born again. In baptism, you have forgiveness of sins. In baptism, you're saved. In baptism, uh, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But one of the other things that the Bible teaches about baptism is that in baptism, we're clothed in Christ. That from head to toe, it's His righteousness and His holiness that saves us, not ourselves. It's all grace. You know, grace from God can only come along with mercy. You know, grace and mercy are two different things. They're related, but they're two different things. Grace is to receive what you don't have coming. Mercy is to not get what you do have coming. Jesus went to the cross for mercy. He took what we had coming for our sin. He suffered and died on the cross, nails in his hands and in his feet, crown of thorns on his head, spear in his side, and he died a horrible death for you and for me for righteousness' sake, that we might have His righteousness. He's taken away our sin so that now we can experience His grace. The kingdom is ours from head to toe by the hand of God. Here's what I want us to do today as we think about grace. I want today to be a celebration as graced people. Uh, we, We know that passage, for it is by grace you have been saved, That was up on the screen earlier, for by grace you have been saved. And that's what we've been talking about. It's grace. It's what God has done, what what God has given. But listen to to that. For by grace you have been saved. There's a point to grace. For by, it's God's hand. You've been saved. You're safe. No matter what happens to you, you're safe. God is not going to hold your sins against you, the sins of your youth, the sins of yesterday. God is not going to hold them against you as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed them. You're safe that even though you die, you know, death is coming, death is an enemy, but death is a defeated enemy. And even though we die, yet we will live. We're safe. You're safe. There isn't anything that anybody can really do against you. You know, it seems like there's all kinds of nasty things arrayed against us anymore. And, and who knows what we might experience. But, but really, nobody can do anything against us because by God's grace, by God's work, we're safe. If God is for us, there can't be anybody against us. I want us to celebrate today as the graced people of God. Let me show you another slide. Just a tease this out a little more. Uh, These are some of the same pictures. I put some other things on there like water. The apple's supposed to uh, be a picture of food. There's the family. Not only are we saved by grace alone, it's only by God's grace, but it's also how we receive everything. All we have is a gift from God. You know, we, we often think, well, you know, I'm an industrious, I'm a hardworking person, and I've been uh, a frugal and all those things, and look at what I've achieved. Or a con- No, everything that you have is a gift from God. That's what Paul said. There's nothing you have that you haven't received. Not only are we saved only by grace, but all we have is by God's grace. That's why we had that second lesson today, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. We don't rejoice in our own accomplishments and what we've done and, and all of those things we've accumulated. We rejoice in God and how good and generous He's been with us. He's given us house and home and family and friends and gainful employment and things of the world. We're saved by grace alone 
And not only is our salvation by God's grace, but the whole kit and caboodle is. There's one other thing you should see in this. We do not yet have all that we will. You haven't received the half of the good things that God wants for you. That's going to come on the other side. Uh, you know, you think about the best wedding feast you've ever been to. You haven't seen the half of it. That was that first lesson where it talked about the new heaven and the new earth and, and we're going to have the, the finest of wines and the richest of meats and there's going to be celebration and joy and frivolity for all eternity with God. Here's where we start our Reformation emphasis. We're thinking about how it's still by grace alone. And it's all grace. And you haven't seen the half of it yet. There is a fourth kind of person that we ought to think about. There were only three kinds of people in the story, but there's a fourth kind of person that we ought to think about. And that's those who have not yet heard. God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the work of the church is to go out into the the homes, the neighborhoods, the communities, the world, and share the good news about Jesus. That last little passage said, for many are called, but few are chosen. And that's one of those head scratchers. Many are called, but few are chosen. And what sense do we make out of that? Uh, It's it's kind of a, a Hebraic sort of phrase. We might think about it as all are called, but not all are chosen. It's kind of not some and few, but all and not all. And, and it's talking about the mystery of how God works. I don't know who's going to be saved. It doesn't look like everybody's going to be saved. But here's what we know. It is the work of the church to proclaim the gospel to all. We want all invited so that God's Spirit might work faith and draw in those who are His. This is the ongoing work of the church that's been reformed by the grace of God. It's an old hymn. It's not a 16th century German chorale hymn, but it's an old hymn. It's a good one. Amazing grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, like you. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's all grace. It's another old song, old hymn, not 16th century chorale, but it's a good one. I love to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. It's the work of the church. Amen.